Hey, thank you very much, Ashley and Reese, for leading us in prayer and in reading. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, on Thursday, we celebrated Ascension Day. Ascension Day is the day in the church calendar where we remember that Jesus rose not just from the grave, but rose back or ascended, sorry, back into heaven uh, from where he came. And Ascension Day is actually maybe the most important holy day on the entire church calendar. You'd never know that, of course, because you don't get a day off from school for Ascension Day. You don't get a day off from work for Ascension Day. You can't go to uh, a pharmacy and buy a card, a happy Ascension Day card, it doesn't really get noticed all that much. And that, that might be simply because uh, Ascension Day is kind of misunderstood. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, where Jesus' ascension is recorded, it says that, that uh, here, let me actually just quote it for you. It says, after he says this, after Jesus has spoken to his disciples, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And a lot of people read that and they think that, that when Jesus ascended, it's like he kind of went up into the stars. Uh, There's a guy by the name of Yuri Garrigan. He was the first cosmonaut. You know, he was the first human being in space. And he very famously said that when he went up into space, he looked around and he saw no God. And so obviously there is no God there. And that, of course, is silly um, because the ascension is not about space travel. The ascension is about God actually, or Jesus actually, transcending space and time itself. Jesus doesn't live in another part of the universe because he's ascended. Rather, he has a different relationship to the universe because he ascended. Because to ascend to something means to, to go into the place of authority. And Jesus, when he ascended, it says, even in our text, he ascended to his father's house. Well, the house is the place of the throne. And we know from Acts chapter 7, uh, there's a story there where Stephen, uh, he was a deacon in the church. He's being stoned uh, because of his beliefs. And he looks up into heaven and it says that he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father who is sitting on his throne. And so for Jesus to ascend means that he ascended to the throne and to take possession of all the authority that comes with his place at the throne. So the ascension is huge because in the ascension, Jesus takes everything he has done for us and he unleashes it into the universe, applying all the benefits to all places and to all times. Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to look at one of these benefits together. And I think it's fitting for us to think about this benefit as we face uh, the pandemic that we're in the midst of right now and as we are going to face the consequences of that pandemic moving forward. In, in John chapter 14, the passage that Ashley read, <clears throat> excuse me, in the passage that Ashley read, Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples. It's this long discourse that, that uh, covers several chapters. And he's, he's speaking to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. And Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen to him. He says, I'm, I'm going to be betrayed uh, by one of you, in fact. And then I'm going to be killed on that cross. 
And having heard this, they've heard it before, but they still don't understand. And the disciples hear it again, and, and they're despondent. They're, they're full of grief and worry, and they're afraid. And so Jesus comforts them, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's comforting them. And the way he comforts them is by saying this, In my Father's house there are many rooms. This is verse 2. And then in verse 3, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, why does he say that? And why is that supposed to be a comfort to his disciples? Well, Jesus knows what's going to happen to his disciples. He knows that they're, after his ascension, that they're going to be scattered all over the place, that they are going to be chased down by their enemies, and they're going to be hunted even by uh, the secular or the Roman authorities. And he knows that many of them are going to die terrible, terrible deaths. Only one of them is going to escape martyrdom, so to speak. The rest of them are going to be killed in horrible ways. They're going to be sawn in two. They're going to be hung on crosses just like Jesus was himself. They're going to be uh, beheaded or impaled on a stake, or they're going to be covered in pitch and, and lit on fire. Not necessarily each of these individual disciples, but those who follow Jesus down through the century. These are the things that are going to happen to them. And they're ultimately going to be wanderers and aliens on this earth. This world is going to become unsafe for them, in a sense, because it's not their place. And so Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, because I am preparing a place for you in my Father's house. I'm preparing it. In other words, he says, I'm promising you a permanent home in my father's house. And what we're going to do for a few minutes this morning is we're just going to think about and unpack this concept and this idea, this biblical idea of home. And hopefully it'll be a comfort to us as we face, you know, uncertain times and and struggles that are all around us right now. So we're going to think about home. We're going to think about four things. I'll I'll enumerate them as we go. The first thing we're going to think about is, what is a home? What is home? Well, home is the place where you belong. Home is the place where you are accepted, where you can be yourself where home is the place where where you fit and it fits you and where you feel totally safe to be you. Uh, Each and every one of our kids, uh, when they went to school, they went through this process that uh, Jessica and I noticed. Um, When they went to either kindergarten or grade one, something like that, they they go to school and uh, they're in in good shape on their way to school and... uh, they do well in school, and they're polite, and uh, at least while they were young, we got uh, very good reviews from the teachers about their behavior. They're pretty good later on in life, too, but anyhow, um, about their behavior, and that was all good. And then they would come home, and they would have a meltdown. They would lose it. They would get upset over the smallest things and they would throw tantrums about very minor things and they would weep and wail and just, just bleh, they would just let it all out. Well, why? It's because while they were at school, they were kind of holding it together and doing all the right things and, and putting on the, the proper front in order to, to function well in the school setting. But then when they came home, they could just let it all hang out. They could just be themselves because home was a safe place. 
Home was a place that they knew that they were accepted just as they are. You know, throughout this pandemic, uh, at the very beginning when it started, it was, it was quite something to see how people were desperate to get home. Desperate to get home. You'd have these journalists uh, conducting interviews in the airports, and these people would be in tears, and they would say, I just want to get home. That's all I'm hoping for is that I can just get home. And people would be, would be weeping about it. Because home is your safe place. And, and that means home is not just a place, you see. It's actually not even primarily a place. There are many people who grow up in homes that, that aren't home. They grow up in houses where they don't feel safe, where they don't feel accepted, where they don't feel loved unconditionally. You talk to people who have been abused, and they say, well, I've never had a place like that. I've never actually had a home. We love home. We need home. We belong home. And Jesus in this passage says, I am leaving so that I can come back and bring you to your permanent home. That's the first point. Now, the second point is implied by what Jesus says, and it's this. We're not home now. We're not home now. Jesus is leaving to prepare a permanent place for his brothers and sisters, for those who love him and delight in him. He's leaving to do that in order, uh, because this world is not our home. This is the teaching of the Bible all over the place. It's one of the, the big themes of the Bible, actually. If you go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you, you discover that God created the world and he created it good. That's Genesis 1. And he created Adam and Eve, our first parents, in his image and he put them there. And in, in chapter 2, it says that, that he created a garden for them and, and he put them in that garden to tend it and to take care of it. It was their home. And it fit them. And everything was as it should be. They walked around naked in the garden and that's not because they were nudists. That was because they were perfectly comfortable in that place. They felt perfectly safe. They felt perfectly loved and accepted. And, and so they could just be exactly as they are without putting on any kind of airs, without putting on any kind of front, without putting forth any kind of image. And then, of course, they rebelled. Chapter 3. And what was the consequence of their rebellion against God? They're banished. They're exiled from their home and they're thrust into an environment that doesn't actually fit them anymore. You can see this in the curses of Genesis chapter 3. Now Eve is told that she will give birth in pain and suffering and that her husband is going to rule over her her desire for, will be for him, but he will rule over her. So the, the relationship between husband and wife is affected. Adam is told that he's going to till the earth, but the earth is going to produce thorns and thistles. By the sweat of his brow, he's going to work. You know, this COVID virus, it's not natural. I don't mean conspiracy theories, somebody made it up in a lab. That's not what I mean. What I mean by this is, is that from an evolutionary kind of perspective, it's just part of the, 
the system of survival of the fittest. Viruses uh, develop and then then viruses get beaten and you build up immunity and uh, all that kind of stuff. But but from a biblical perspective, the 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 COVID virus is a is a is a powerful and very. Uh, clear illustration that that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's under a curse. Not, not a curse for a specific sin, but the curse that came from the rebellion of our first parents that has now turned the world into a place that does not fit us. And so the Bible says that this theme of exile and banishment, it, it actually goes deeper than just our physical uh, uh, experience. It's, it's a spiritual homelessness. So that even hell itself, one of the metaphors used in the Bible to describe what hell is, is eternal separation from God. Eternal exile. Banishment forever and ever and ever. And I think that we know this. Whether we're religious or not, whether we have the story that explains the experience that we have or don't have the story to explain the experience, regardless of it, we we do have a sense that the world just doesn't quite fit us. What do I mean by that? Why is that? Well, we all have longings that it seems like they simply cannot be fulfilled in this world. You know, when you first buy a new car, man, it feels good. It's so exciting. You just want to hop in the thing and drive around. It's got that new car smell. It rides smooth. It accelerates well. There aren't things clunking. And it just, it just gives you this great feeling. Or when you, when you go on a vacation that you've really been looking forward to and, and you can't wait to get to the destination. Or, or how about this? When you first fall in love. When you first fall in love, you think, man, everything is the way it should be. The sun shines brighter. The flowers uh, 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 are, are, are more brilliant when you look at them. Uh, everything seems to, to exist in technicolor for you. But in every one of those cases, eventually sort of the luster wears off. I'm not saying you fall in love. I'm not saying you don't like your car anymore. I'm not saying the vacations aren't, aren't enjoyable. I'm just saying that the, that first sense of, of, of excitement and fulfillment begins to give way in a, in, a, in a quiet dissatisfaction lurking underneath starts to rear its head again. Why is that? Well, Jesus says it's because We have a longing that can be only met in our Father's house. That's the only place it can be met. And we we know that. You know, in verse 4, it's very interesting. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas says, wait a minute. This is verse 5. Lord, we don't know where we're going. Sorry, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Now, what's interesting is that Jesus is, throughout the Gospels, he's always telling them, you guys don't get it. They think they get it. <laughs> they think they get it. And he tells them, you don't get it. This time, they're saying, we don't get it. And he's saying, yes, you do get it. Because he's saying, deep down, you do know that your home is not here. And you know, deep down, that there is a way to that home. 
And until we see that way, until we see that this is not our home, until you and I come to understand that we too are aliens and strangers in this world, as the Apostle Peter puts it, we will always be chasing will-o'-the-wisps. C.S. Lewis, in, uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he actually puts this beautifully, explaining why we have this, this, these moments of fulfillment and satisfaction that ultimately leave us wanting more. He explains this really well. He says, basically, the reason the best of our earthly joys, maybe a great marriage or, or, or a wonderful job or a beautiful house, that they will always leave us restless in the end is because of this. Quote, this is C.S. Lewis. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Now, this is very wise. He will not encourage us to make them for home. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, yes, it's good. Falling in love is good. A new car is good. Landing that dream job is good. Having your first child or your fifth child is good for a while. And, and they're meant to be good for a while, but they are ins. They are ways that God refreshes us and, and is actually reminding us that there is a fulfillment of all our deepest longings that is coming that cannot be found here. Now, this begs the question, of course. What makes heaven our home? Point three, what makes heaven our home? What makes it the place that is so ultimately satisfying? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 3, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus says this, you know why heaven is home for you? Because I'm there. And because my Father is there. Let me ask you a question. Why would anyone want to go to heaven? Why would anyone want to go to heaven? This is, whether you're a, a religious person, a, a, a believer, an unbeliever, a non-religious person, whatever, why would you want to go? I mean, you ask a non-Christian, and you want to go to heaven? Sure, I'll go to heaven. Well, why? Well, I'd love to go to heaven because I could be free from suffering. It's a good reason to want to go to heaven, isn't it? Maybe you are a person who struggles with a chronic illness. You know, this, this is grinding you. This is weighing you down. You are feeling the weight of it. And it's, it's almost like, you know, the water dripping on a, a rock constantly pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding on that rock. And it feels that way to you. And it's, and it's, and it's starting to, to wear you down. And you just want relief from it. I mean, we're only two months into this pandemic. Maybe two and a half. And it's getting old, right? It's creating a tremendous amount of stress. Uh, there is increasing mental health issues. Uh, we're, we're, we're seeing more and more addictions. We're see getting more and more calls to kids' help phone, for example. Uh, there's more and more domestic violence being um, reported to the police. There's tremendous economic pressure that's happening around us. We want this over. End the suffering, man. I want to go to heaven. 
And that's a good reason to want to go to heaven. I mean, it is one of the Bible's promises about heaven. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He, that is Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Sounds like a good reason to go to heaven. Maybe you want to go to heaven because you are tired of sin. And, and I'm talking about your own sin. Yeah, you're tired of other people's sin. You're already tired of other people's sin. But, but you're getting really, really tired of your own sin. You have something in your life that has been dominating you for so long. And you, you have failed time and time again to win some kind of victory over it. And you feel the guilt and the weight of the failures. And, and you're tired of fighting. Well, Jesus promises that. 1 Peter 2, no, 2 Peter 3, verse 13 says this, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. All that sin will be gone. All that will be left is righteousness. All that will be left is holiness. All that will be left is, is perfect conformity to the perfect will of God. Good reason to want to be in heaven. Or maybe, maybe you want to go to heaven because you miss loved ones. That's a very common one. Very common one. You've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost a child. You've lost a dear friend. You are, you are feeling the weight of that loss and the pain of that loss. There's an ache that you live with each and every day because of that loss. And you think, I would be reunited with them. And, you know, that is the promise. If they're believers, that's the promise of Scripture as well. Jesus says in Matthew 8, verse 11, this. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Well, if we're going to recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, I think we're going to recognize each other too and our loved ones who have gone before us. So yes, it's understandable that you want to go to heaven for that purpose. But you know, anybody can long for those things, eh? Anybody can want to go to heaven for that. You don't need faith to want to end suffering and be done with bad habits, let's say, if you don't want to call them sins, or, or be reunited with loved ones that you lost, of course. But that's not what Jesus says. Because you see, for a believer, this is what makes heaven home. Christ is there. God our Father and Jesus our Savior are there. Now remember, I said at the very beginning, what is home? Home is the place that fits. It's the place where you accepted, where you are accepted, where you are approved, where you are delighted in, where you are adored just as you are and you are totally safe there. It's comfortable. Hell is permanent separation from God. That's one of the metaphors of hell in the Bible. Well, heaven is permanent communion with God. You know, heaven is, is it's not, it's not streets paved with jujubes and rivers full of Sprite or Dr. Pepper or your favorite pop and trees that are made of lollipops. Okay, that's what people think of heaven. It's just this kind of happy place. It's candy land. No. 
Home is not just about the space. Home is about the relationship. And heaven is our home because it is a returning, about returning to our Father and our Savior who loves us and accepts us to the very, very bottom. It's being accepted by the only one who can fulfill our deepest longings. You know, Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. He didn't say until they find rest because of thee or with thee. He says in thee. It's in the relationship. And you know, even the most perfect life on earth is no equal, is no comparison to being in the beatific presence, the beautiful presence, the center of love itself with your Savior and your God. That's what makes heaven home. Do you long for the presence of God? Well, you're like, well, how do I long for the presence of God? How do I long to be home with God? Well, last point. We know what it is. We know it's not here. How do we get there? Well, in verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Other translations say, Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, if you're going to believe in God, you've got to believe in me. If you're going to believe in the true God, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. This is where we're going. When we get to verse 6, you'll really see it. What does it say in verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, here is how you get home. Here's how you experience home. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. You want Jesus? Here's what you've got to see. You've got to see the Son of God coming into this world, never once rebelling against his father. Instead, he experienced exile as an act of voluntary submission, not as a consequence of rebellion. He lived his entire life in exile. After his birth, he he was exiled to Egypt in order that he not be killed by King Herod. And during his ministry, someone came up to him and said, I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lived his life as a homeless wanderer. And on the cross, he he lost his place. He cried out as an act of faithfulness, as a desperate plea to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lost his place so that you could have a place. You know, the, the door to the ultimate home was slammed shut on him so that it could be flung open wide for you and for me. You see... What he did on the cross, you see what he paid for on the cross. You see what he endured on the cross, and you long for him. Friends, do you ever just, when you meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ, when you meditate on his perfect character, his perfect nature, his sublime wisdom, yet profound humility, his incredible courage, 
yet easy approachability. His character and quality and his his conviction, his willingness to, to set his face like a flint and go to Calvary, knowing what he was going to face for you and for me and doing it willingly. Do you ever just want to see him and grab him and hold on to his ankles and weep tears of joy and and? and say over and over and over again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You get home by faith in this Jesus. But here's the amazing thing. This home that we're looking for and that we're longing for, it sounds great and it sounds like like a wonderful thing, but it sounds like it's in the future, but, but it's not just for the future. See, you can, you can taste that now. That's what makes Ascension Day so wonderful because you see, after Jesus ascended to reign and rule over the universe, you know, only 10 days later, what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit into the world at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came down, and he still comes down, and he takes up residence. He resides in the heart of anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. And you know what he's there to do? He's, he's there to do a number of things. Yes, he's there to do a number of things. But listen to what Jesus said. He's sending this Holy Spirit to do. In, in the same discourse, this is the same conversation that he's been having with the disciples in chapter 14. It continues through chapter 15 and chapter 16, and this is what he says. He says in verse 12 of chapter 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Yeah. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You notice Jesus says twice he will make known to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you read scripture, as you meditate on this Jesus and everything that he's done for you, as you talk to him and commune with him in prayer, pouring out your hearts, you know what you get to do? You get to visit your home. You're not there permanently yet, but you get to make, you get to make visits Even as you wait for the permanence, you can taste it now. Even as you face this pandemic and and the consequences of it, and you think of all the things that you've lost and all the things that you may lose. You know, one of the things, I'm lamenting the fact that I don't get to see my kids play sports this summer. I know it's not a huge thing, but it was something that brought me tremendous pleasure. Watch my boys running around in soccer fields. Watching my daughter banging away the volleyball. It was was a, a tremendous amount of joy for me. Very, very enjoyable. Can't do it. It's a loss. But I can face that loss when I'm reminded, hey, this isn't my home. 
But in Jesus, I get a taste of my true home. And when I really drill down on him and who he is and what he's done for me, man, oh man, nothing, nothing, no joy, no pleasure of this earth can compare to what he can provide. One benefit of the ascension. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus ascended. We thank you that he is currently on the throne and we thank you that he is preparing our place in his presence and your presence for all eternity. Father, we thank you for that and may we take that as a comfort as we continue our journey as wanderers and aliens and strangers and aliens in this, this land that is not ultimately our home. Thank you for all the things you give us that give us a taste of home, all the pleasures that we enjoy yet in this world, especially this spring as, as the world is waking up from another winter and we see the life springing forth from the ground. Remind us, Father, that, that this is nothing, nothing in comparison to what awaits us at the last day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And take us home, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team returns, I just want to uh, give a little, a little bit of a, uh, not a caveat, but an addendum to the message, just to say that we're describing heaven, etc. I'm not saying that heaven is some this ethereal, spirit, only spiritual place. The, the new heavens and the new earth is where we will ultimately be, bodily, just like Jesus is now as the ascended Lord, bodily in his presence in a, in a renewed world. I just want to make sure you understand that. And, but that's actually the subject for another sermon. Okay, um, again, it is our custom uh, to uh, observe and celebrate the Lord's Supper at this time in our, our services. And again, of course, we're not able to, to do that. Um, and our Lord who is ascended, he... He is waiting for us to be able to do that with him again as well. Um, and what we're going to do is, uh, at this time in the service, we're going to pray together. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And the, the kids of Grace Kids uh, have again agreed graciously to give us a hand in leading that. So uh, let's pray along with our Grace Kids kids as we say the Lord's Prayer together. kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give us this day, our daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.